Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525 chapter 10 verse 1 when the queen of sheba heard the fame of solomon concerning the name of the lord she came to test him with hard questions the word means riddles puzzles conundrums hey figure this one out well that was pretty good now what about this so solomon answered notice this all her questions there was nothing so difficult for the king that he could not explain it to her. Whether it's making important decisions for your company or your own home, you probably feel huge pressure to make the right choice. And today on Connect with Skip Hightech, Skip dives into the life of King Solomon to show you the importance of making choices with both wisdom and compassion. Before we begin, we want to tell you about a great resource that will help you stay rooted in God's Word this year. Has anyone ever said to you, you can't see the forest for the trees? It's a way of saying that you've missed the big picture, and that often happens when we study Scripture. The Bible is worth reading slowly, and there's value in going slow. But there's also value in an approach like this where you speed it up, and you cover vast portions of Scripture. It gives to us the big picture, and we need to see how the plan all fits together. We want to help you grasp the big picture of the Bible by sending you the companion workbook to The Bible from 30,000 Feet by Skip Heitzig. This workbook enhances your personal Bible study with thought-provoking questions that help you understand the timeline, main message, and key doctrine. Your knowledge of the Bible will grow, and so will your love for God and His Word. We'll send you your copy of the Bible from 30,000 Feet Workbook when you give a generous donation of $35 or more today to help keep these Bible-based teachings on the air. Call now to give 800-922-1888 or give online securely at connectwithskip.com slash offer. Okay, we're in the book of 1 Kings as Skip Heitzig starts today's study. Well, look at chapter 5, verse 13. Then King Solomon raised up a labor force out of all of Israel, and the labor force was 30,000 men. 30,000 men. We're not done yet. And he sent them to Lebanon, 10,000 a month in shifts. They were there one month in Lebanon and two months at home. Adoniram was in charge of the labor force. Solomon had 70,000 who carried burdens and 80,000 who quarried stone in the mountains. Not done yet. Verse 16, besides 3,300 from the chiefs of Solomon's deputies who supervised the people who labored in the work. So 183,300 men were employed as the workforce by Solomon to build the temple in Jerusalem. And and what, what a great shift. You're on one month, you get two months off. You work one month, you get two months off. So that's the cycle. It must have been hard work if you need two months off to recuperate. So that's how how he rolled. That's how he did it. Verse 17, And the king commanded them to quarry large stones, costly stones, and hewn stones to lay the foundation of the temple. 
Now let's remark on the temple for a moment. The temple represents the very pinnacle, the very zenith, the very top of Solomon's reign and Solomon's glory. And the temple is considered at the very heart of Judaism. Today, if you go to Israel, there's a little mount in Jerusalem that is called the Temple Mount, traditionally where the temple stood, where they believed the temple stood. But there are sayings about Jerusalem, about Israel, and about the temple in the Jewish commentaries from the Old Testament times. For instance, um, in a commentary that is known as the Midrash, the Jewish Midrash, it says this, The land of Israel is at the center of the world. Jerusalem is at the center of the land of Israel. And the temple is at the center of Jerusalem. That's a poetic way of saying the navel of the earth, the center of the earth, the center of the world is the temple in Jerusalem. That's why it's awfully exciting to be able to stand and look at and walk on the temple mount and think of all that happened on that mount throughout history. Well, something about the temple, Solomon's temple. Solomon's temple follows the direction of a previous building that housed the Ark of the Covenant. What was it called? Anybody? Tabernacle. Tabernacle was, uh, was not made out of stone. It was made out of what? Cloth. Cloth and skins, right? It was a temporary portable structure. The temple follows the dimensions of the tabernacle times two. So, follow me here. There's an outer court, but once you get to the tabernacle proper, the tent proper, there's a tent in the middle of this court. The tent that comprises the holy place and the holy of holies, if you remember, was 15 feet wide and 45 feet deep, divided into two, holy place, holy of holies. The temple is double that. It's 30 feet wide and 90 feet deep. The only variation is the height. The height of the tabernacle was 15 feet. The height of the temple was 45 feet, so times three, in height only. Other than that, it was doubled from the tabernacle. So you have a building that the temple, 2,700 square feet, not large. Later on, Herod's temple, during New Testament times, much larger, humongous. Solomon's temple, though, was quite small, 2,000 or 2,700 square feet. However, it was quite expensive. It has been estimated that if you add up the materials of uh, hewn limestone, cedar from Lebanon, gold, silver, that that little 2,700 square foot structure is $11 million. $11 million. Now, some of your homes are 2,700 square feet. Some of your homes are bigger than that, but they're not worth $11 million. So this is a structure that has a price tag of $4,000 per square foot. Now, it took Solomon seven and a half years to build God's temple. But get this, you couldn't hear the sound of a hammer or chisel at the temple site. Day, uh, Solomon gave instructions to bring hewn stones ready to be placed so that at the temple itself you wouldn't hear the construction noises of, of hammering and banging. Now, in the 1800s, 
There was a couple archaeologists poking around a place in Jerusalem known as the Damascus Gate. How many of you, ever have, how many of you here have been to Israel? Okay, raise your hand. So, gosh, a lot of you. That's great. So you remember the Damascus Gate? Remember where that's at? Remember, it's where all the, uh, uh, like you're going to Golgotha, Calvary, and there's just lots of pilgrims. It's where the, the biggest police force is around today. So the Damascus Gate, he was dig- uh, poking around there, and he found a tunnel that emptied into this large cavern, and they believe they found underneath that Solomon's quarries, which several of our groups have visited. Solomon's quarries, where they would take the limestone, cut it there, and then finish it and bring it to the temple. So when you go in there, you start seeing how they cut the stone. Want to know how they cut the stone? They drilled holes in limestone by hand. They drilled holes, long, deep holes. And then they put a hole every few inches along a line, and then more holes along another line, more holes along a parallel line. And then they would put wood in those holes, stuff it full of wood. Then they would pour water in intervals in a certain sequence in the holes filled with wood. Now, what does wood do when water gets to it? It expands. So they could crack the stones exactly how they wanted to, take the stone out, finish it off with a hammer and chisel, in that little quarry and then bring it up to the temple and just slide it into place. So next time you're there, remind me and I'll show you where that is. Well, the temple is done. By the time we get to chapter 7, verse 51, it says, So all the work that King Solomon had done for the house of the Lord was finished, and Solomon brought in the things which his father David had dedicated, the silver and the gold and the furnishings, And he put them in the treasuries of the house of the Lord. In the next few chapters, it talks about bringing the Ark of the Covenant in. It talks about the cloud of the Lord or the Shekinah glory of God descending on the temple in that first day of worship. Solomon speaking to the people. Solomon praying to God. Now, we're going to skip all the details, but I want to bring something else up since I mentioned the price of the temple a moment ago. That's just the 2,700 square foot room. If you were to take the temple courts along with that 2,700 square foot temple room, add up also the um, uh, silver, the gold, the brass, the brass pillars that were in the courts, the silk vestments uh, of the priests, the purple vestments that they wore, the vestments of the singers, the wage for the singers, the musical instruments for worship, all the materials and the labor would cost, the project today would cost, and I checked in on a couple different sources who gave this estimate, $140,381,000,000. An enormous price tag, right, for a building. When God said before, I don't even care about a fancy building. I'm happy in a tent. You guys want the building, right? Fast forward to the New Testament when Stephen stands before a Jewish audience and he says, let me just remind you, gentlemen, that the Most High does not dwell in temples made with hands. God doesn't dwell in places. God dwells in people. It's about people more than places especially in the New Testament. 
Because in the New Testament, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Paul said, you are the building of God. You are God's workmen. The emphasis shifts from the Old Testament focus of tabernacle and temple to the New Testament focus of people. Chapter 9, God appears to Solomon a second time. And here the Lord says, hey, Saul, I heard your prayer. It was good. It was awesome. I agree with it. Um, When you dedicated the temple, I was there, of course. Um, I'm going to keep my end of the bargain. I want you to keep my statutes and my laws, and I want your sons to do the same. Now, God appears to him and tells them that, but also gives him a warning. Now, why is this significant? God has never given him a warning until now. In verse 6, But if you or your sons at all turn from following me and do not keep my commandments and my statutes, which I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land which I have given them. And this house, which I have consecrated for my people, for my name, I will cast out of my sight Israel will be a proverb and a byword among all the people. God gives Solomon a warning the second time he appears to him. Solomon is established. Solomon grows in strength. He grows in riches. He grows in uh, kingdom, uh, property. And that is when a person is most vulnerable. A person needs to be warned When they rise to the place where life is good, life is easy, the winds are on our side, this is favorable, this is nice, we're prosperous, we finally arrived at this plateau. That's when you need to watch it. That's when you need to be warned because you are most vulnerable. I want to just have you glance at a phrase down in verse 10. It says, now it happened at the end of 20 years. This is Solomon's midlife. And from what we know about Solomon, he's going through or will go through a midlife crisis of identity. He's going he's to write a book, Ecclesiastes. It's all vain. It's all vanity. I can't figure out the meaning and the purpose of life. And he goes from that to eventually forsaking the Lord. So he goes up to this incredible pinnacle and then life's good. It's stable. And after a period of time, after that midlife wind at his back moment, is the slide downward. Hence the warning from God. Now just keep that in mind by the time we get to chapter 11, which we're soon to do. Chapter 10, to sort of add to the flavor of Solomon's incredible reign, uh, people hear about him. Rulers hear about him. Solomon's diplomacy, he's growing in that area, interacting with other world leaders. And one of them, from down south in Arabia, Sheba to be exact, a queen, the queen of Sheba hears about Solomon. Chapter 10, verse 1, when the queen of Sheba heard the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. The word means riddles, puzzles, conundrums. Hey, figure this one out. Well, that was pretty good. Now, what about this? So Solomon answered, notice this, all her questions. 
There was nothing so difficult for the king that he could not explain it to her. Solomon poured forth wisdom, just dripped off of his lips. I'd love to have a Solomon around. I, there's some questions I wish I could ask Solomon. Don't you, do you ever have like these questions about wh- why is that? Why is it, for instance, that if 7-Eleven is open 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, why are there locks on their doors? You know, I, Solomon maybe could answer that question for me. I, I can't figure that one out. They're never closed. Why have a lock? Um, Why do dogs hate it when you blow in their face, but when you put them in a car, they want to put their head out the window? (laughs) Solomon, please, give me some wisdom. This is one of life's riddles. So Solomon is growing, and his fame is spreading. Chapter, or verse 6, Then she said to the king, It was a true report which I heard from my own land about your words and your wisdom. However... She continues, I did not believe the words until I came and saw with my own eyes, and indeed, the half was not told me. Your wisdom and prosperity exceed the fame of which I heard. So now, at this point, Solomon's kingdom is vast. It stretches from the Mediterranean Sea on the west to the Euphrates River on the east. His kingdom goes from Arabia down south to Lebanon up north. An enormous piece of real estate and the largest physical boundaries that Israel in history ever enjoyed was under the reign of David, but more so under the reign of Solomon. Jesus refers to Solomon and refers to Solomon's glory, but interestingly, Jesus refers to Solomon in a negative way, saying, even Solomon in all his glory is not arrayed like one of these flowers. Even all of that physical accomplishment of Solomon doesn't compare to a simple flower made by God. So he speaks of Solomon, but he speaks of them in a negative way. Solomon has a problem. Let's just bring that out now. You'll see it. It'll get worse. He has a management problem. He is a tax and spend politician. He taxes the people immensely and he spends their money profusely. And he is oppressive. And he is so bad that the people feel the weight and they cry out and they're complaining. You won't hear about it till we get to his son by the name of Rehoboam. Rehoboam uh, makes Solomon even look tame because he turns up the taxation. So uh, before we get into that, and we see the divided kingdom, which we're just going to touch for a few moments on, there's something that grabs our attention, a number that is mentioned. That is Solomon's wage. And I'm drawing your attention to it because it's the only time it's mentioned, this number, outside of the very famous passage that we all know, the book of Revelation chapter 13. I want you to see in our text, chapter 10, verse 14. Still speaking of Solomon's splendor. And that is his wage, his annual wage. Chapter 10, verse 14. The weight of gold that came to Solomon yearly was 666 talents of gold. 
Now, if we did not have Revelation 13 and the number 666, we probably would pay no attention. But the fact that this is the only other use of that number in Scripture, they're mentioned, it's mentioned twice besides Revelation 13, and it's in conjunction with his wage in two different sources. This is one of them, is with what Solomon got annually. Now, why is that noteworthy? Because Solomon was the one responsible for plunging the nation into idolatry. His heart is divided because of his wives. He starts worshiping other gods. He starts building and institutionalizing idolatry in mass for the southern kingdom of Judah. So this king, the third king, introduces idolatry into the nation. And I don't think it's a stretch to say that if David is a type of Christ, which he is and talked about in Scripture that Solomon could be seen as a type of Antichrist. 666, the number of man, the perfect man, the ideal man, the successful man, Solomon. Well, uh, Solomon was told to keep by his bedside a copy of the law, right, which he copied. One of those passages in the law, in the Torah, was Deuteronomy chapter 17, in which God says, see if it can be any clearer than this, when a king comes and sits on the throne of Israel, he is not to multiply horses to himself. We have Solomon's stables all over the land of Israel. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of horses he kept. He's not to multiply horses to himself. He's not to multiply wives to himself. Did Solomon break that one? Like a thousand times over. And he is not to greatly multiply silver and gold to himself. He gets 666 talents a year. Every law God put in the books for kings, Solomon broke. And he did so flagrantly. And it all goes back to David's home life. You, 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 you can't erase that. You can't forget that. It all goes back to David and the house that Solomon grew up in. Well, we come to chapter 11. And here's what you need to know about this chapter. It is the hinge. It's the door. Uh, the, the whole book is like a door that hangs on the hinges of chapter 11. Uh, the first 11 chapters last 40 years. The second 11 chapters last 80 years. In the first 11 chapters, the kingdom is united and strong. In the second 11 chapters, the kingdom is divided and weak. In the first 11 chapters, there's a single king, one man in the spotlight, Solomon. In the second or last 11 chapters, there's a lot of kings, several kings, and civil war. Chapter 11 is that hinge. Chapter 1, or 11, verse 1, but King Solomon loved many foreign women, as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, Hittites, Termites, all of them. (laughs) From the nation of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, you shall not intermarry with them, nor shall they with you. Surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. It's not that he just had them. His heart was moved by them. And it's good to love your wife, but 
love a thousand of them? Talk about a divided heart, especially when those wives are worshiping false gods, false goddesses, false religious system, and that begins to seep its way into the marriage relationship, into the home. Verse 3 tells you that story. And he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. That's Skip Heitzig with a message from the series, The Bible from 30,000 Feet. Tomorrow, we'll go further into 1 Kings. But right now, we're excited to tell you about a brand new podcast that Skip's wife, Lenya Heitzig, is launching today called All the Things. And here's a sample of some of the content as Lenya talks with Fresh Life Pastor Levi Lusco. That's another hallmark about you, Levi, that um, you are honoring and positive and encouraging and guard your lips from being a negative force. You know, I mean, there's enough of that. There's enough criticism and polarization and whatever there is in the world that um, does it really matter what flavor Christian we are or that kind of thing. You seem to have had a full hearted acceptance of the kingdom of Christ and not the kingdom of men or the, you know, putting people in their little niches of who they are and where they fit. I think it's very hard to throw stones at someone you're praying for. Yeah. And I think it's really easy to care for someone you remember as a human. I've almost found like the internet objectifies people in a weird way and you can tear down someone because you don't treat them like they're a human being. You almost treat them like they're a commodity. Yes, that's so good. Thanks, Lenya. And you can catch the full interview and much more content available from Skip's wife, Lenya Heitzig, and her co-host, Lindsay Maestas, with this brand new podcast, All The Things, launching today, wherever you get your podcasts. And tune in again tomorrow as Skip Heitzig shares about how David and Solomon's successors weren't up to filling their shoes. You'll learn what that meant for Israel, and you'll be reminded of the beauty of the gospel. Make a connection. Make a connection at the foot of the cross. with Skip Heitzig is a presentation of Connection Communications, connecting you to God's never-changing truth in ever-changing times.